0: This is The Connection, a Dirty Free Hub podcast connecting gravel cyclists to where they ride through short stories about culture, history, people, places, and lands. This podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Bend Cultural Tourism Fund. Hello everyone, this is Chris Kutosh and on today's podcast we are at the Abbey Tools Headquarters and manufacturing facility here in bend oregon joining me is jason aka the Friar. jason thanks for having me
1: yeah thanks for stopping by
0: i appreciate it well let's jump into it uh, tell me about abby tools uh what is abby tools
1: uh so Abbey bike tools was started um nine years ago kind of um on an accident really when a, a friend of mine jeff crombie asked me to make a, a custom lockering tool um made made one for him and then made uh about a 15 or 20 other um kind of crude homemade tools and and send, sent them out um to some some fellow race mechanic friends uh, across the country and uh and then one day i got a call from a guy said hey are you that are you that guy that makes that thing um <laughs> i realized that i was probably on something there um and yeah, kind of just started out of necessity more than anything else. And, and then it uh, it grew into kind of what we have going on today. So,
0: It was one tool, and it was a fellow mechanic that was asking about it?
1: Yeah, so Jeff Crombie and I met at the the race mechanics clinic that uh, USA Cycling puts on um, usually every year. Um, and we both had a background in aviation. He used to be an airframe and power plant mechanic. Uh, I used to weld airplane parts. And so we kind of had that Um, that in common and we stayed in touch and and he was um, there's a lot of really good bike mechanics there's not always people that are constantly looking for ways to do things better Um, and Jeff is very much of that that latter category Um, and so he's like this is silly why are we taking the quick release off every time we want to check the swap the cassette and so he was like hey can you drill a hole through that weld a handle onto it and mail it to me uh, let me know what I owe you, and uh, I didn't charge him for that first one. But um, yeah, so that was kind of where where it came from. It was just one of those necessity things to make life easier um, and and uh, speed things up in the in the workshop. Um, or you know, in his case, he was working for a, a Canadian professional team um, and wanted to check you know lock rings every every day uh, as part of his um, you know process, uh, in process mid race. Uh, safety check just to make sure that everything was tight and snug and how
0: many tools do you make now
1: roughly Um, i think we've got about 25 or 30 kind of unique tools some of those are split up with with several different variants um, you know or sizes for like bottom bracket tools uh, and things like that that kind of get a little more complicated and have more versions than we may wish they did
0: why is making quality tools
1: so important to you you know, part of it was uh, um, as somebody that had grown up as a tradesperson, um, you know, you kind of make your living working with tools and, and you appreciate that level of quality. Um, obviously, you know, there's varying different degrees of that. If you're a, a DIY person, um, you know, you may not see the value in some of those tools. Um, you, may, you may think that what you have is great until you actually buy something that's really high quality. Um, and, then, and then you start to notice the difference um part of it's a, a sustainability thing you know the it's it's certainly a heck of a lot easier for the or better for the environment to buy a quality item once um and, and get a lifetime worth of use out of it than it is to um you know wear something out uh pretty regularly um and that some of that stuff filters into our you know kind of uh post-sale service where somebody you know maybe damages a a chain whip or bends a handle. And and if they're domestic, we try to get those tools back, um, you know, and and repair them as opposed to just sending them a new one, like is so common in our industry. Um,
0: but yeah. Tell me um, then about, uh, the name and being the, the fryer. Yeah. So, um,
1: the name came from uh, a bike shop that I used to work at and me and the owner wanted to build some bike frames. Um, and we, we came up, I was a home brewer for a long time. Um, and, and now I'm don't have enough free time to, to sit around all day and make beer. But, um, and so we kind of wanted to turn the tables on the, uh, the craft beer industry, kind of consistently borrowing things from, uh, from cycling. And so I think here in, in Bend, uh, good life as, um, as a couple of beer labels that, that have uh, mountain bike themed names, but, uh, yeah, and so, but the challenge there is that so many things in the brewing world were already named after something else. They were named after uh, fish or geographical re- uh, regions, and so it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But my my partner in crime for that uh, loved everything uh, about Belgium, uh, the crappy weather, the beer, the french fries, you name it. Um, and so he spit out Abbey, and it was like, that was it. Um, and so, yeah, originally it was a, a frame-building uh endeavor and so we built maybe a dozen 15 bike frames uh together um and then the shop unfortunately went away and and that partnership kind of ended um and we went our separate ways but uh and then yeah morphed into me doing mobile repair and house calls um and then when the tool thing started it was like well i've i've got this logo that i like and this name that we're already using like this seems kind of easy so Um, originally it was Abbey bike works. And so if you see some of the really old, uh, crombie and chain whips, um, they'll have that Abbey bike works engraved on them. Um, and now we just go by Abbey bike tools. So yeah, kind of a cool little nugget. It's always fun to go out to races and see some of that old stuff. Um, cause those customers were definitely very early adopters for us. Uh, the, the traveling techs, so.
0: A couple of things. I was really surprised when I when I came in. One, I thought there would be a bunch of people at a bunch of different machines, kind of doing stuff. And I walked in and I didn't see that. I saw a couple, you know, really big machines. Uh, and so there's. And, and when I saw that, I thought, "Oh, everything's kind of automated." Well, I don't think that that's really the case here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, automation is definitely part of what we do. Um, you know, we do have some uh, a pretty modern uh dual spindle uh live tool lathe or turning center Um, and then we kind of have a a more traditional vertical uh, cnc mill Um, and so the lathe lends itself to doing automation pretty well Um, the the mill though you know is it's i mean it's automated to an extent but but a a person has to reach their hand in there and and put a new part in um, or a new series of parts uh, after every cycle and so some of that's just the nature of those machines. Some of that, you know, we could uh, upgrade to to robots or whatnot to, to load the mill. Um, but at our scale and part mix and stuff, the that kind of automation is um, is a little over our head, um, I think. So we're not necessarily technically speaking, but just the, the return isn't quite there. But, uh, yeah, kind of a, a mix of uh, modern machine tools and then uh, some of the stuff is is very much kind of, Uh, a little more old world craftsman, um, craftsperson uh, style. So where, you know, you've got somebody kind of sculpting or, or uh, making uh, a part by hand. So with whether it be just basic hand tools or, um, or kind of old school uh, manual machine tools.
0: Yeah. And I was surprised at how much went into every little piece where, Yeah, you do have the lathe and you have the CNC machine and they're doing a lot of the work, but you're in there taking one piece of a tool and moving it to like the next stage and the next stage in this whole manufacturing process. Because you're taking solid pieces of aluminum, titanium, steel, and you're turning it into you know, a piece of a tool and then putting those pieces together. And so you're cutting out things, drilling things. And so there's so much that goes into each tool. It makes me look at it in a whole new way that, wow, it's not like it's just stamped out or, you know, automatic, you know, just magically appears. It's (laughs) all these little steps that go into creating something that, you know, I've never even thought of.
1: Yeah. It's easy to, uh, to say, well, all you got to do is, you know, press the green button on the machine, and, and it just walks away. But the, yeah, the which is kind of to the point of there's a lot that goes into to determining how those things get made. The the process, the operations, the tool paths, all that stuff is is unique to every single part that gets manufactured. Is there a story
0: that exemplifies uh, Abbey Bike Tools?
1: Yeah. So, um, kind of back. This is kind of part of the, the origin story, I guess, but we, um, so we did our first production run and here in Bend, we have the, uh, for years had the cascade cycling classic, which was the the longest continuously held uh, road race in the country. Um, but I was working the race and I went through in between races at the downtown criterium and sold a, a Crombie tool to every mechanic that had money in their pocket. Um, and then anybody that didn't have money came back to see me the next day, uh, to buy one because they all instantly saw how much time it would save them. Um, and I think I sold them for 35 or $40, uh, at the time, not too much different than where they're priced at today. Um, and so that race traditionally happened in mid July, uh, fast forward 12 and a half months later, um, we had four different teams at the tour de France. Um, using our tools, and and one of them was uh, Sky Pro Cycling that won that year. I think it was Chris Froome's first uh, overall title. So, yeah, kind of a cool uh, thing to just see how fast a certain, you know, a a very small but um, high-profile group of mechanics kind of adopted our stuff, uh, our equipment.
0: Yeah, so you have home mechanics, you have professional mechanics, you have bike shops that are using your tools. Uh, Is that kind of – this you know the span of your customers
1: yeah i mean you know anybody that does bike repair and likes nice tools i think is you know somebody that, that could be a customer of ours um a lot of our original customers were all traveling event mechanics across different disciplines whether it was uh, world tour kind of grand tour road cycling or, or world cup uh mountain bike downhill cross country whatever uh, or even track cycling so um yeah just kind of that unique nature of of fixing bikes but doing it in a different location every other weekend um, or every day of the week you know sometimes when when the teams are moving around all over the place it, it becomes a lot to lug around and, and the the way that they build out their toolkit is can be quite a bit different when you get into the nitty-gritty and the subtleties of it so
0: wow man fascinating story oh, oh i mean all of it's great so tell me how can we find you
1: uh, so we're at Abbey Bike Tools on Facebook and Instagram. And then the, uh, the website is abbybiketools.com, So,
0: Great. Jason, thank you for the time. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for showing me how you do everything here. It's uh, been fantastic.
1: Cool. Thanks for stopping by today.
0: I really appreciate it. Well, that wraps up this episode. Until next time, keep riding, exploring, and having fun. Thanks. Dirty Free Hub is a nonprofit organization fueled by your generous contributions. Find us at dirtyfreehub.org.